Uh, hey, I, I, um, I actually love praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, to be honest with you, for me, it, when I was younger, it sort of felt like the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, you know, you just kind of ramble along. And, and then I began to dig into it uh, more deeply to try to understand what was being said because there's so much more going on in that prayer than simply a, a way to teach the disciples how to pray, although it is that. Um, but phrases like, thy kingdom come, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, uh, let your will be done here on earth, just like it is in heaven, which gives us a clue. It gives us a sign that, um, that the kingdom of God isn't fully here yet. It's not fully done here on earth, just like it is in heaven. I mean, the kingdom of God, Jesus teaches elsewhere, is advancing. So it's advancing, all right. It is coming, but it's not fully here, not yet. And so that whole phrase there, the kingdom of God, um, can get a little fuzzy sometimes for us on understanding, well, what do you mean by the kingdom of God? And, and just one way to understand this idea of the kingdom of God and to see it more clearly is when we contrast it with the kingdom of this world. So on the one side, you have the kingdom of God. The other side, you have the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world is the world that we live in. It's the reality, as it were, absent from uh, God's intervention uh, there's a system, right? The kingdom of this world is a system. It's the way things work. It's the kingdom of this world. And, and there's things that happen in the kingdom of this world that convince us that the kingdom of this world is pretty awesome, right? I mean, the way that the kingdom of this world works, you might actually be able to operate in this kingdom of this world side and get things done. Uh, you might be able to earn a lot of money, um, get some recognition or power, but the problem with the kingdom of this world way is that it's generally based on winning and beating down others, climbing over the top of others to make your way to the top. And you can get kingdom of this world success, but it's almost always at the expense of others. One way to look at the kingdom of this world is, well, there's winners, there's losers, so just make sure you win and win at all costs. That's the kingdom of this world, and honestly, that's how things have worked in the world for most of history. And then, 2,000 years ago, Jesus shows up on the scene, <laughs> and Jesus announces a whole different way, a different way to live, a different way to love, and he calls it the kingdom of God. Like when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, he starts preaching about the kingdom of God and announcing it. Some of the people got really excited about this, this new kingdom that he was teaching because they'd been waiting for it for a long time. Because what they expected was that now this new kingdom happens and we get to be the ones who are on top. We get to be the ones who are in power. We get to be in control now. And so if you even just read the story of the new Old Testament, in the story of the Old Testament, the, the people of God, the, the Israelites, had some glory days where they were God's favored people. They were a superpower. But then for a long stretch, hundreds and hundreds of years, they were back on bottom. They were occupied, defeated by a foreign godless government. They were oppressed. They were beaten down. And they were waiting for a new kingdom and the Messiah was promised that would deliver them from their oppression. And finally, Jesus comes, the, the promised Messiah. And what he comes and does is he preaches the kingdom of God. He shows us a different way to live, a totally different way to love. But it wasn't what they were expecting. 
it was really totally unlike the kingdom of this world that they'd been living in. And the kingdom of God, that same kingdom, that same story is the story that Jesus today invites you and me to live into. And so for the next stretch of Sundays, uh, Evan and myself are going to be teaching a new series called Unexpected. I got it right this time. Unexpected. The surprising nature of the kingdom of God. And what we hope to do is to give us as a community a clearer picture of what Jesus meant when he spoke about the kingdom of God. Um, because he, he spoke about this and invited us to set aside our small stories, our own little personal kingdoms. Which, by the way, is the beginning of what the word repent means. To set that stuff aside and change directions and step into the story of God, the kingdom of God. A place where the outsiders become insiders because God makes no distinction between us and them. In fact, there is no us and them, not in the kingdom of God, not for the people of God. And so the kingdom of God, the story of God, it's this whole new reality to live in, a different way to live and love. And it's the only place to find actual peace and fulfillment, really. But here's the deal, and we have a choice in this, um, and that's where I want us to begin this journey of this series. We have a decision to make, and that's what this morning's going to be about. Um, we are invited to live in the way of Jesus, the reality of the kingdom of God, or we can keep living in the kingdom of this world. Problem, you can't do both. <laughs> that's how kingdoms work. You can't do both. You have to choose one or the other. There is no dual citizenship. And uh, lots of people, myself included, sometimes we try to straddle the border with one foot in each kingdom. But as Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. And he was talking about God and money, but it applies here as well that we, we do have to choose. So the choice, the question is, what kingdom do we want to live in? Will we accept this beautiful invitation to live in God's reality, his kingdom? Or do we want to keep buying into the message of the kingdom of this world? Let me put it this way. Will we as a community, um, a community of people who are following God, will we together spend our energy and passion on kingdom of God stuff or on kingdom of this world stuff? Because there are two kingdoms and they operate in radically different ways. And it's important that we know the difference between the two. And by the way, this is a talk that's been brewing in me for a number of years, um, very influenced by uh, Greg Boyd, Dave Johnson, Dallas Willard, N.T. Wright, a bunch of others with great writing and impact, but even more than their teachings, more so the teachings of Jesus are what have led me down the path. So I want to pray us into this series. God, um, we want to know more of what you're inviting us into as your people, into which kingdom. So I pray for open hearts for me, for my brothers and sisters here, that we would step into the reality of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, listen to this quote that kind of struck me uh, a while back that has stuck with me um, from Dave Johnson. He said, when the church tries to advance the purposes of the kingdom of God using strategies and methods of the kingdom of this world, we inevitably lose the unique and compelling essence of the kingdom of God that we are seeking to advance. 
It's pretty smart. Dave's not that smart, by the way. I know him really well. He's from Chicago. Um, don't tell him I said that. So here's, uh, I'll be Dave for dummies. This is Doug here. This is my simplification. Dave is saying this, we can't get kingdom of God results by using kingdom of this world methods. This is just a central reality that we need to embrace and, and realize. Now, let me explain this statement here by going to a story in John chapter 18. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate's the ruler, and Jesus is about to be crucified, and Pilate is trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is, because he's heard so much about Jesus, and then Pilate finally meets Jesus, and Jesus doesn't look like a king. And so he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus answers in kind of, you see this here, an obscure sort of way, unless, unless we understand the nature of the kingdom of God. Pilate, who didn't, uh, was completely lost on him because the only kind of kingdom that he could think about and recognize is the kingdom of this world. Um, but Jesus is saying and answers him here, I am a king of sorts in the next slide here. I am a king of sorts, but here's the deal. My kingdom is not of this world. And he's saying here, because if it was Pilate, you'd know it. Why? Like, well, here's why, because my followers, Jesus is implicitly saying in these words, my followers would be using different strategies than they're using, because if my kingdom was of this world, they would be mobilizing, they would be fighting, they would be screaming to win this thing the way that the kingdom of the world wins things like this with power over. So the concept here of power over I want us to, to grasp here, it's, it's kind of a big one, I think, if we're going to look at the differences between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. See, in the kingdom of this world, these systems seek to get done what they want done by utilizing this method of power over. And what's interesting is that the kingdom of God is actually the opposite of that. It's about power under. It's this subversive way that the kingdom of God advances itself. So you've got power over versus power under. This is the way of the sword. This is the way of the cross. This is the kingdom of this world. This is the kingdom of God. And there's lots of places that we could look through Scripture to to look at this kind of power over thing. And one of them is in Matthew 20, where Jesus tells his disciples this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority. How? Over them, right? See, it's, it's power over. Everybody knows that's how it works in the world, power over. Jesus then goes on. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, that's as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and that is power under. I mean, Jesus' teaching, imagine, they're waiting for a Messiah to come and, like, blow this oppressive system away, and he shows up, and his teaching blows their mind. They'd be like, what kind of king is this anyway? Right? This is unlike anything we've ever seen or heard. Exactly. And it looks like, even up until the point he dies, that they don't get it. And so often, neither do I. 
Because while I believe with all my heart that power under is the right way and the best way to do life, I catch myself reverting to power over all the time. Like sometimes I lead by serving. And sometimes I just want my way. <laughs> um, I, I, I do it at home with my wife, with my son, with our kids, with our parents. I do it with my friends. I do it on the job. I do it here at church. I revert to that power over, and I'd like to think that part of it has to do with, you know, ah, it's my personality, right? This is how I'm wired. You know, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. On the disc test, I'm a high D, a high I. On the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. You know, I can see what needs to be done, and I'm impatient in getting it done. And so, hey, you know, it's just my personality. Um, I'm all about power over. I'm a leader. And especially when I get insecure or impatient or that whole power under servant leader thing has just taken way too long, <laughs> then I can shift into that high achiever mode and power up. I can power over. Whew, here's the problem with that. If I want to call myself a follower of Jesus, I'm going to have to step back and recalibrate and take my lead from Jesus who did not come to be served but to serve and give his life, that's power under. That's the way of the cross. And you can't get kingdom of God results with kingdom of this world methods. I mean, I've got friends that are gifted leaders in ministry areas and and I know one of them that has said to me several times, hey, listen, well, I was a, I was a jerk, but at least I got stuff done. <laughs> Okay, yeah, actually no. Because <laughs> um, if it gets done with those, done with those methods, then isn't that stuff that, that really is useless and eventually just burns up and goes away? It doesn't last. According to the teaching of Jesus, that stuff doesn't last. Um, the way would be the power underway of the cross. And learning what that is maybe is one of the biggest challenges in the life of a believer, especially today. Let's look back at a story um, just before Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Picture this. The soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And some of you, many of you probably know this story. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Peter, the loudmouth that gets made fun of all the time. I'd like to defend Peter a little because I can relate. But um, he sees the soldiers coming. They're going to arrest Jesus. And so anybody remember what Peter did? He grabbed a sword. He pulled out a sword. And he pulled it out, listen, to defend Jesus. And what's interesting about this is that he pulled that sword out of love for Jesus. Like, he loved Jesus. It was well-intended passion for Jesus. It was a desire to promote the cause of Jesus. These are all really good things. But Peter pulled out a sword and swung it in defense of Jesus and cut off the ear of one of Jesus' enemies. Okay, so what kind of power is that? Power over now, to be honest with you, something in me says, hey, way to go, Peter. Like, all these other guys are just wimps, you know? Like, I get this reaction. Um, it's the kingdom of the world. That's the kingdom we live in. And my mind goes there way too fast. Like, hey, hey, that's how you get things done around here. That's how you win. But remember Jesus? He didn't buy into it. Even when he was being betrayed, he said to Peter, put away your sword, Peter. Put away your sword. 
For everyone who lives by the sword is going to die by the sword. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that everybody who picks up the sword is going to die. He is speaking a truth about how life works. If you decide to win by picking up a sword, which is a symbol of, of power over, if you decide to pick up a sword, if your mode of getting power over um, is to pick up a sword and you play that card on someone, their response is going to be to try to get more power over you. So they get a bigger sword and then you go get a bigger sword and they get a bigger sword. And here's the deal. Nobody wins. And even if you think you win, you don't win. And Jesus says, if we were going to do power over, <laughs> I could have called 10,000 angels. Like, I can do the power over thing. But I imagine him saying to Peter, if, <laughs> if you want to do it the kingdom of God way, which you don't get yet, yet, Peter, you don't yet get it. You will get it. You don't yet. Um, the way that we are going to fight, and we will fight, I believe Jesus would say, and the way we are going to win, and we will win, the way we're going to influence this culture will not be by picking up a sword. It will be by taking up a cross. See, the mission, our mission, says Jesus, will not be accomplished. Um, our influence in the culture will not be expressed successfully by cutting off the ears of our enemies or winning arguments or yelling louder. Our influence will be expressed by healing them. And if you remember the story, Jesus does what with the guy's ear? Yeah, puts it right back on. Um, pretty amazing. He heals him right there. See, the kingdom of God is not about the power of the sword, power over. It is about the power of the cross, power under. And I want us to have this picture real clearly. It's the foundation for everything else that I want to say in this series we're entering into. Um, the radically unique nature of the kingdom of God and the way it brings its influence to our world is power under, not power over. The symbol is a cross, not a sword. Now, Jesus is our ultimate example of this because while we were still sinners, he died for us. And then the call to his followers, that would be you and me if we name his name, is to take up the way of the cross as being the means by which we would influence our city, our culture, our families. And so we got to ask, you know, well, what does that mean? Um, I think it means we learn to walk in love. Okay, Doug, what does that mean? Um, well, it, we would do it the way that Christ loved us. Okay, how did he do that? Um, by laying down his rights, by laying down his life. Which one New Testament writer said was a fragrant aroma to God. That kind of sacrificial love smells, smells good to God. And guess what else? That kind of love smells really good to people too. It smells really good to people. Partly because maybe they've never smelled anything quite like it. 
And friends, that's the kind of impact that we as a church community want to have. A kingdom of God influence right here in the middle of the kingdom of this world. Impacting our culture by power under in, in a system that works with power over. And I even say that out loud and part of me goes, what are you nuts, Doug? That'll never work. We're going to get squashed. We're going to get killed. Um, yeah, I know. Um, but look at the Bible. That's why none of us really <laughs> want to do this. Because uh, this way of the cross, the power under, it's a risky way to live. But it's how Jesus called us to live. So, so will we? Will we? Power under is part of why we're doing ministry on the Navajo Reservation. To love and serve. Power under is why we have a trip coming up next month um, to build a house in Mexico with one mission. And there's still room on that. Um, there's still room on the Navajo trip next weekend. Um, power under is why we would bother spending time and effort doing a conference at the end of this month um, where we're going to have victims of abuse speak, uh, perpetrators speak, other folks speak, why we're going to come together and shine a light on this thing that we'd rather just kind of let it go away or let the law take care of it. Um, power under, we're going to pay attention. Power under is why some folks in our church are starting to pray and ask God, what is he calling us to do about refugees? Man, I'll tell you what, that's a hassle. It's a hassle. <laughs> um, power under says, when we read the words of Jesus, he calls us to respond. Power under is how lots of you are living your life in your family, and your work, on your job. Power under. So I've talked a lot about power under. Um, how about this whole power over thing? Am I saying that power over doesn't belong anywhere? Like, don't we have to have some power over stuff somewhere? Like, 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 and, and a good question would be, if you're thinking about this, okay, what about laws in our society? And I think that that's a really important piece to look at, right? Okay, power over laws in our society. Um, yeah, the kingdom of this world can be symbolized, like I said, by the sword. And it's true. Like, the kingdom of this world forces conformity to behavior through the use, the use, the use, yeah, the use of law. Um, so that's a power over kind of thing. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Romans 13, 2 Peter 2 tell us that in government, the power over deal is a God-ordained thing. I kind of struggle with that a little bit, but it's what it says, so I got to take it for what it says. Um, and, and by the way, it says in government, <laughs> not in your home, not in church, not in your family, in government, power over um, would be the ordained thing. And so here's the question. Why, why is it God-ordained? Well, I think it's because, um, not because it's the perfect system to have power over the power of the sword. It's because we are a broken people living in a broken world. And in a fallen world, people don't generally always do the right thing for the right reasons. So the laws of our land try to get people to do the right things, even if they don't want to. So in that place, power over operates. And I say, you know what, good, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing, because um, honestly, here's why, um, I don't really care why you don't steal my stuff or hurt my family, I just care that you don't steal my stuff or hurt my family, okay? Um, 
I mean, I'd love to think that everybody's really nice. We don't need to have any laws. Nobody's going to steal my stuff. Nobody's going to hurt my family. But I'm not quite that naive, so, you know, <laughs> I know that there's people. So I'm glad that we do have laws in our society that say, listen, you can't do that. And if you do that, we're going to put you in jail. So, yeah, there you go. I'm glad for laws, and those are good laws. So, yeah, in the kingdom of this world, we have laws, and they are good um, but here's the deal. Laws do not have the power to change the heart, right? So they're necessary, but those laws, as good as they are, they do not have the power to change the heart. They don't have the power to make the guy who wants to steal your stuff not want to steal your stuff. They might keep him from stealing your stuff, but actually, <laughs> that doesn't even really work. It doesn't work all the time for sure because, actually, laws don't even have the power to change your behavior, right? They're there, but it doesn't change the behavior even. For sure, it doesn't change the heart. And if we need proof, all we have to do is read the paper. People steal and kill every day. But sometimes the church, we think, well, we got to put all our attention into We need to fight for laws. We need to write legislation. Uh, the church needs it. Okay, come back to the other piece here. Think about this piece here. Um, does, there a f does the fact that there are laws against stealing your stuff, does that law make you feel safe? Like, do you live with your door unlocked every night at your house? And just, right? Anybody here? Hey, there's a law that says nobody can come in my house, so I don't really need to lock my house. I can leave the keys in my car, no problem, right? Does anybody... Yeah, besides Paul? No, not even Paul. Okay, he was just scratching his head. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I lock my car, I lock my garage, I lock my house, because I know the law, and though it's good in government, and I like that power over thing that it's going to be enforced, but I just don't trust the hearts of all the people, and neither do you. So the kingdom of this world, it tries to force people to behave right by the use of law. It's a good thing. It's a God-ordained thing, but the problem is it can't change hearts, which I think informs us as the church about how we would approach doing kingdom of God things, like how we do what we want to do, what we focus on, because the kingdom of God, unlike the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of God is aiming at an entirely different thing. It's not just aiming at external behaviors. The kingdom of God is aiming at a radical change at the level of the heart. And that radical change at the level of the heart is the only thing that the kingdom really cares about. I mean, here's the deal. Um, I could maybe with a law force certain behaviors on you. But if I'm trying to deal with your heart, which is what the church is called to do, I can't force your heart to feel something or believe something or desire something because the heart can only be one. It cannot be forced. And when you try to force it, <laughs> push somebody farther away. So how might we win the hearts of men and women? Um, well, maybe we could take a cue from Jesus. What did he do? Through the supernatural Love that picks up a cross, not a sword. This isn't my idea. Jesus started this. He modeled this. How come I always miss it and revert to that other way? 
Where are we called, church, to put our energies? Um, I'm really convinced of this, and I know a lot of people see it differently. But it's not by picking up a sword, not by yelling louder, demanding our rights, and doing the power over thing. They yelled at me. I'm going to yell back. They're arguing this way. I'm going to argue back. No, no, no. (laughs) It just won't work. We woo hearts by the power of the cross. It's power under. Let me hit one more um, nuance about this difference between the kingdoms. Kingdoms of this world talk about crime. The kingdom of God talks about sin. Okay? Little difference, big difference, right? Um, Some things can be a crime and not a sin, and some things can be a sin and not a crime. For example, um, Nazi Germany, it was a crime to care for and hide a Jew But was it a sin? No, that would not have been a sin. And so in the kingdom of God, things like lust and greed and gossip and adultery and divorce and gluttony and disordered sexuality, those are sins. They miss the mark. By the way, that's what sin means, to miss the mark. Those things miss the mark, um, but they're not crimes. I mean, just for fun, I kind of was like, well, would I feel safer if those things were crimes? You know, if adultery... And divorce were against the law. Would I feel safer? And I know that some people would think, yeah, that'd be great. Um, and then I'd press a little bit on that and think about this. Okay, wait. Um, if adultery and divorce were against the law, would it have saved your parents' marriage? Or would it have saved yours or mine? Uh, would a law against adultery have kept your mom and dad or your husband and wife com- from committing adultery? The law, would that... No. See, only the kingdom of God can do that. I mean, the kingdom of this world power, the power over it, could by law force you to stay married. Let's just say there was a a law against divorce and that the kingdoms of this world could enforce it. You can't get divorced. And by the way, when I was going through divorce years ago, that might have sounded like a good idea. Um, Like, okay, anything. Here's the deal, though. Um, A law... No matter how good the law is, it can't give you a good marriage. Only a change of heart could give you hope. Only the kingdom of God could give you a good marriage by changing a heart with a Calvary kind of love. And when that happens, suddenly we husbands start responding to the teachings of Scripture where the the Word of God says, Husbands, love your wives. How? Well, by loving them the way Christ loved the church. Okay, how did he do that? By laying down his life for them. Um, What's that power? How? Power where? Under. And if, by the way, we husbands refuse to do that, hey, there's no law, you can't make me. (laughs) Okay, okay. But then don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Um. And Paul wrote that advice to husbands in Ephesians, and, and then he wrote to wives, wives submit to your husbands, and, and I'm a huge egalitarian, um, and many liberated women might say, hey, I'm not submitting to anybody. Okay, then don't call yourself a follower of Jesus' way, because submitting to your husband would be power under. And by the way, I'm not talking about submitting to abuse. That is never, never, ever okay. Um, 
Men, laying down your life for your wife, that's power under. And by the way, in that whole submitting thing, how come we don't read the next verse? Because <laughs> Paul told both husbands and wives, if we read the whole thing, to submit to each other. He says, men, submit to your wives. Women, submit to your husbands. Both submit to each other. It's about power under for both. For both. It's about power under, guys. And that's how it works in the kingdom of God. And it requires transformation. It requires a change of heart to pull it off. Not adding more laws. It requires a change of heart. And that's where we, as citizens of the kingdom of God first, are called to put our energies. Now, quick thought, and I'll pick this one up in a couple weeks again. We happen to live in a particular version of the kingdom of this world that I'm grateful to live in. It's called a democracy, and because we're in a democracy, they ask our opinion. So here's my big word to our church on politics. Fine, give your opinion, right? Give it, vote, vote. But when it comes to your life's energy, if we give the majority of our attention to the kingdom of this world approach, we will never see a kingdom of God result. I'm going to sum a thought and move toward our close here. Um, just because some of you are OCD, I'll cover this in the next time I speak. Uh, in the kingdoms of this world, it is always us against them. That's in your bulletin. I'm not going to cover that one today. I'll hit that. But if you're OCD, I didn't want you freaking out. So, um, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave everything, and he gave it for people that we sometimes make excuses to hate. He gave everything that he had, and he doesn't want anybody to perish, but many are perishing right here in our own community, in our own city. So, so what do we do? If we follow the model of Jesus, he invites us to go to them, not to get them to come in here. That's fine. I love it when they come in here. He says, go to them, win them over, and how do you win people over? And this is what grieves me so deeply. Because the way that we, the church, especially the evangelical church, has tried for a long time to convince people that they're wrong. That's how we're going to win them, right? Convince people, because everybody loves to be told they're wrong. You are wrong, right? The truth hurts. Get your bullhorn or go on Facebook now, which is a different kind of bullhorn, and just confront them with their sin and let them know God is angry with them. And, but, but tell people you're doing it in love because the truth hurts, right? Yeah. Uh, it hasn't worked. It doesn't work. Let me give us another suggestion before any of us do more of that. Try this. Um, try loving them. I know, it's a goofy idea, right? Um, just try loving them with supernatural love, with Calvary love, with while they were yet sinners, still sinners love. Quit arguing with them and handing out tracts and posting about our rights. Um, try loving. Try loving. And I'm talking to me as well because for me to do that, it would take more transformation in my heart. It would take a transformation in our hearts. We would have to be willing to become different kinds of people and we're on that journey already, but to continue to let God invite us deeper into it, because um, it's way easier. Isn't it way easier just to spout opinions and demand our rights and exaggerate uh, and spread lies about the other side? It's just easier to pour gas on the fire. And it's way easier for me just to talk with people who look like me and think like me, reinforcing my strong opinions already. <sighs> but I wonder, I just wonder, 
And I want us to talk about this in this series, but I wonder how would taking a power under, power of the cross, kingdom of God approach impact how I see issues like racial justice, immigration issues, issues involving unborn babies, issues of young desperate mothers, economic issues. I, I just wonder, like, instead of sounding off about the pledge or gun control or our opinion on racial issues, what if we stopped and just found ways to demonstrate love? Um, and now I'm talking to guys that look like me, because what if we middle-aged white men like me stopped and listened to the perspective uh, of women? Um, stopped and listened to the perspective of our black and Latino and Asian brothers and sisters to hear how others experience life in our presence. And instead of dismissing their perspective by saying, hey, I don't see color, I'm colorblind, that's dismissive. Um, instead of being defensive, we slow down enough to wonder, how is it that I might even be contributing to the problem, and how can I help? How can I stand with them, accepting, learning, understanding, listening, listening, listening? And maybe you'd listen and do all that, and your opinion, your perspective wouldn't change. But if Facebook is a good sampling, <laughs> uh, my approach to those issues sure would change. And by the way, I haven't been on Facebook much, so I'm not calling anybody out here. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, but this is the kind of influence that we get when we put down the sword, we take up the cross, when you lay down your life, when you become a follower of Jesus' way. But again, to, to, to go there, we would need more transformation. We'd need something radical. We need an awakening, an awakening. We need God to help us because we don't do this so well. We don't. And I think even acknowledging that, that we don't do this well, it's the next step in embracing the call of God on our Hope Covenant Church community to become a kingdom community. Ryan, will you come and the team? I was going to promise not to preach this long every week, but yeah, I, I don't want to lie, so it could happen. Sorry. <clears throat> I'll try. I'll try. Um, here's where I'm landing on this, just in my time this week, praying and discussion and talking to lots of my friends from different perspectives and backgrounds and skin colors and... Um, I think that God wants to speak something to our community. And I think he's asking us to take this up, the cross. This is why we put it kind of almost in the way a little bit this week. Um, pretty hard to ignore it when it's right there. Um, I was going to put it right in front of me, and then I wouldn't have to look at you guys, but I thought that would get a little weird. So, but, um. But Jesus is inviting us, I believe, to take up the way of the cross. If we would take up the power underway, and I honestly, I don't even know all of what that means, and I'll be the first to say that I don't think I'm very good at it, but I will say yes to it. I'll say yes to this. And friends, I believe that if we say yes as a community, it will start a journey for us. I believe the cross is asking us something. Are we willing to be a people who will take up the power underway and let that be the thing that marks us and admit right off the bat that we don't do it well? Like, we don't even notice sometimes that we're doing the power over thing, but are we willing to say, yes, that's the kind of people we want to be 
And I'm going to ask you, in fact, um, if you'll all stand right now. And if in your heart you can say with me, and I don't want to just say this as an individual, but I want to say yes to this as a community. Um, and from wherever you are, I'm going to invite you. We don't do this often. Um, I, I haven't seen us do it before. But I just sense the importance of moving from where we are um, in this commitment. And I'm going to invite all of us to come as a community and stand around this cross. So will you come um, to commit to the way of the cross? And in doing that symbolically, we're going to stand around the cross. So just come from wherever you're at. We're going to gather around the cross. And I think there's something that's powerfully symbolic about us coming and moving, whether you're a part of this church or not. Um, we want to say yes as a community. We invite you to wonder what this looks like in your own life. Um, when I look at the cross, part of me even just looks at the cross and thinks, I don't even understand all of what this means. And I sure don't do it that well, but I'm willing to learn. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that we would be willing to pray that. And so let me pray. Um, Jesus, we are here to tell you that we don't do this well. There are people that you love and died for that sometimes we can't stand, that I know that's true of me. And I repent. And as a people, we repent. And we're here to tell you, God, we don't know for sure how to do all this. We haven't done it well. But as we step into the next era of this beautiful community here at Hope Covenant and on the journey that you have us, maybe we don't know how, but we want to. Together we say yes, we say yes to you. And I'm going to give you just a moment, some of you, just to go ahead and pray your quiet, whispered prayers of yes to God. And you physically came forward, and now just whisper your prayers, your willingness, your yes to God in this next moment. Thine is the kingdom and the power.